Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. The kind of wild faith that believes God in the midst of any trial, that holds on to him throughout any difficulty and praises and worships him even in the middle of difficulty so that the pandemic doesn't interrupt your praise, so that difficulty in your marriage doesn't interrupt your praise, so that difficulty with your kids does not interrupt your praise, that, that we got to be able to walk through difficult times and hold on to our praise. And that's what we see now in chapter 3. Habakkuk is holding on to his praise. Um, the Lord spoke to him in chapter 2. There were five woes. And out of that revelation, Habakkuk had an experience. So just to give you uh, some introduction, chapter 3 is about an experience that Habakkuk had. So it's a song that he wrote based on an experience. The experience is a terrifying experience. It's a, it's a storm. And in the middle of the storm or at the end of the storm, he wrote very poetically, um, about the storm. So, so we're going to get into that. Let's look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. And this is a, a preface, if you will, to the, to the song. He says, this is a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. On, and this is a, this is a Hebrew word, so I got to get this right. It's shig, shigianot. Shigianot. This is a prayer of the prophet on shigianot. Now, shigianot is a literary musical term uh, helping the musician and the singers, helping the band know how to play this song. So uh, it doesn't mean much to us on Shiggy, Shiggy on note, uh, but it's very helpful if you were going to play and sing this. And, and Habakkuk, remember, was a musician. And he was a uh, uh, he, he was he was a prophet. He became a prophet, but he used to be a priest. He used to be a musician in the temple. So he knows what kind of songs they sing, and he wrote this specifically for them to sing this song in the temple. And the the the, the, the musical style is shiggy on note. What does shiggy on note mean? Well, shiggy on note means to scream. Or to shriek. That's what it means. So, 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 so what that means is today, 2020, September, we finally get to lay to rest a very hotly debated topic. So now we know who the greatest heavy metal band of all time actually was. I know this has been hotly debated for years for many of you. Uh, but let me just say it's not Megadeth. All right, not Megadeth. It's not Pantera. Sorry, JT. It's also not Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath. It's not Slipknot. Some of you guys know these, these, these songs. It's, it is the prophet Habakkuk. He's, he's the greatest. He started, he started screamo worship. He was so ahead of his time. This is, to my knowledge, the only Shigionot hymn or psalm in the Bible. I don't hear David with his little harp, One Direction David. I don't hear him. I'm just saying, I don't hear him doing any Shigion notes. You know, he's talking about how great and lovely Jesus is as a deer. Pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. This is not that. And so what I realized when I when I realized this was Shigion No, I realized I had been reading, I had been reading this wrong the, like all of my life. Because I think of the Bible and I think of Psalms and I think of, you know, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. On Shigion no Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe. Of your, that's how I have read it. So I realized that I've actually been reading this wrong, and so I wanted to like just kind of help you guys realize how we should actually how we should actually be reading it, right? So, is that all right? So, so it starts it starts with the tech team. I, I gave them a little something to help us out, just to help us figure out how this should actually. I mean, this is from the original Hebrew, <laughs> as long as it's authentic. 
This is authentic. Go ahead. Like this is this is the loot and the liar, I think. There it is. Yeah. And so you gotta get your foot up on the on the on the bass, the bass amp. Upper of a packet. The prophet. I'm just, I'm just trying to be authentic. All right, sorry if that uh, triggered anybody. <laughs> um, that'll be our worship song next Sunday. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, I am, I need more practice. We need, or we need somebody who actually knows how to do that. But that's my first time ever trying that. <clears throat> All right, so a prayer of Habakkuk. <laughs> the prophet but actually like when you realize this is heavy metal it it gives you an actual clue into the kind of song because this is what i was struggling with and Ro can even tell you she was asking me you know she's like what's going on with with the sermon we always talk and i said it's just plain weird it's just weird because i'm trying to preach a song that feels way too aggressive way too angry way too mean like it feels like it doesn't feel like hill song you know what i'm saying like it feels a bit different, but as soon as I realized, oh, it's heavy metal. Oh, okay, well, that's why. And this is actually a heavy metal song because it's, 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 it's about a storm. And it's not just about the storm in the way that, like, Caleb sings about the storm, right? Like, I'll praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands. You know, it's not the kind of storm that God is going to save you from. It's not the kind of storm that God's going to protect you in. Habakkuk is so weird, like he's going straight heavy metal. He's headbanging to the fact that the storm is God himself. God is the storm. Now, as an evangelical, I'm like, well, that doesn't fit because all of my sermons, that all the sermons I have, I'm ready to preach about a storm. The storm is always like a pandemic. It's like a rough marriage. It's a difficult time. It's a trial. It's a hardship. The storm is something outside. It's out there. But Habakkuk says, no, no, no. I want to tell you about the storm named Jehovah. I want to tell you about the storm who is God. So actually, this is kind of cool. I, I want to preach. I want to. I want to. I'm not going to do any more growling or grunting or pig noises or anything like that. But I like. But I want to preach to you about the unstoppable God. We we know a lot about the merciful, the gentle God. But I want to preach to you a little bit just about the unstoppable, the uh, I don't know, unmanageable, the uncontrollable, uncontainable, unrestricted unabated unrelenting the unmanaged the unboxed the unstoppable god the god that that is uh determined the god that is adamant the god that is forceful the god that is fierce the god that is ferocious the god that is tumultuous the god that is uh unruly a little bit unpredictable I want to talk to you about the God who is mighty and who doesn't check in with anybody, about the God who does what he says he's going to do, the doggedly determined, the hanging in the tough times, definitely, absolutely, 100% God. I want to talk to you about the God that is so sure of himself and so sure of his power that he makes promises that seem like they would never come to pass, but he has all power, he has all authority, and he absolutely holds all the cards. I want to talk to you about an unstoppable God. And I, and I think it's interesting because, you know, ge geopolitically, Habakkuk is in a place of very little power. And the Babylonians are in a, con a situation of a lot of power. They hold m many of the cards. And I think sometimes it's difficult to get across to countries that hold a lot of cards it's difficult to get across to countries like America that hold a lot of cards, that have more nuclear weapons than anybody else, pointed at more other nations than anybody else, that interfere in more elections around the world. Oh, everyone, never mind. The people that hold a lot of the cards, it's difficult to convey the absolute authority and power of a God who holds all the cards. 
Because it's somehow, it's easier for Habakkuk to get it because he literally holds very few cards and he sees how powerful people are that hold a lot of cards. But when you're born with the privilege of having held many of the cards most of your life, sometimes it's hard to understand just how powerful the cards actually are. How powerful the position that God holds actually is. And so Habakkuk, though, he draws from nature the very thing that still makes America with all of our nuclear weapons tremble. The very thing that still causes us to evacuate cities and run away from our strongholds and our fortresses. The very thing that still we can put a man on the moon, but we cannot stop a tornado. The very thing that is still overwhelming our systems many times. That, that even imagine like that's us now. We got like laser guns and uh, you know cell phones and stuff. Like we have so many, so much technology, and yet 2,500 years ago, Habakkuk draws from this force of nature. He says God is like a storm, and not just any storm. God is a powerful storm. I talked about this uh, weeks ago about these storms that would that would move into um, Israel. Um, I don't. I don't know if we still have that map. Um, do you guys have that map from a few weeks ago? It was a. It was a general general map of the region. Um, but if you see it on the map, you can really. It, it makes a little more sense to you. But um, basically, Israel is. It's a mountain on 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 good soil, which is what God promised. Land flowing with milk and honey. Well, the reason why it's flowing with milk and honey is because it's right next to the Mediterranean. So 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 a lot of moisture. Right? Goes into the atmosphere in the Mediterranean. Massive clouds develop over the Mediterranean, and they come and they drop their rain over Israel. Well, I should say over the west side of Israel. So actually, annually, this is, this is something that I learned. It's pretty crazy. Annually, if you live on the west side of Israel, you get about 27 inches a year of rain. If you live on the east side, you get 11 inches of rain a year. That's the drastic difference. It's drastic. It's like the difference between Maine and Texas. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's really, it's really interesting how much rain comes out of the Mediterranean and dumps onto the land, but then the, the clouds fizzle out by the time they get to the east side of Israel. But about once a year, there is a storm that rises up out of the south. And so it comes from the southeast. By the way, Israel is on the edge of the two largest deserts in the world. So to the east and to the south are the two largest deserts in the entire world. And, and, and once every so often, this storm will rise up coming from the east or from the south. They call that the desert storm because it's coming from the desert. Uh, George Bush Sr. was reading this passage in Habakkuk when he decided to call uh, the, the war in, in uh, Iraq back in the 90s. He decided to call it Operation Desert Storm because America was coming from the south. And so it's one of those things that if you live in the region, you understand that a desert storm is much different than a Mediterranean, it's a regular storm. They have pretty explosive storms over there just in general because of the, 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 the geographical location. And, uh, but but, but, but the, the storms that rise up out of the east, there we go, the storms that rise up out of the east and from the south are especially damaging. Not because they're particularly more powerful, but because... In their wake, see, what happens, and, and, and we know this in Texas, what happens is when you have really hot temperatures, and we're talking 130 degrees out there, when you have really hot temperatures and no rain for a long time, like a desert, um, the ground becomes really crusty and hard. It becomes so crusty and so hard that when it rains, especially if it rains very hard, the soil doesn't have time to absorb it, and so it starts rushing. It creates flash flooding. So even to this day, when you have a desert storm, a lot of times you have like goats and, and sheep being swept away. You have uh, fences going away. You have actual cars are carried away. Roads are broken up and all dumped into the Dead Sea uh, because of a desert storm. So a desert storm is very destructive, and it's very powerful. If it's destructive nowadays, and if it's kind of feared nowadays, man, 2,500 years ago, when you lived in a tent, <laughs> this was a really big deal. And you had to prepare for these. By the way, when it starts raining, you have about five minutes 
to, to get to higher ground because the water is going to be rushing off of those mountains. The rain is going to be flooding through the valleys and breaking up the ground, creating these massive rivers through the wilderness. You might have read about that one time in Isaiah. But that's what happens when God just dumps rain in the desert. And so what, 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 what Habakkuk is describing is a massive desert storm that he lived through. So let's go back to the scripture now, just in light of that, and let's just read what Habakkuk has to say about God. First off, he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them, he says, in our day. In our time, make them known. What? Make what known? In wrath, remember mercy. Man, this is a different song than what Habakkuk was singing in chapter 1. Habakkuk was more run, one direction in chapter 1. He was, he was right along there with David. Everybody's picking on me. I just, it was, it was, it was yeah, he was waiting for his knight in shiny armor to come rescue him. And, and, and by the time he gets to chapter 3, he's now a screamo heavy metal guy. And he says, God, in all of your wrath, the word wrath there means agitation. See, like in chapter 1, he thought God was doing nothing. He said, God, you're doing nothing. And now he realizes God is doing so much. And he's like, in all of your action, in all of your agitation, and everything that you're doing, which is all just and is all good, remember your mercy. And it's not that God forgets mercy, but he's saying, would you please emphasize, would you please especially revive your mercy? He's like, God, I thought we needed a revival of righteousness. We actually need a revival of mercy. I need a revival of the mercy of God, the kind that actually leads to to repentance, the kind that actually changes a heart, because it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Habakkuk was looking as a prophet for a revival of right living. They had that, and that didn't that didn't work. That did, that wasn't sustainable. Now he's saying we don't need a revival of right living. We need a revival of the mercy of God. And if the mercy of God can touch the human heart, then a human heart can be changed. And if a heart can be changed, then a life will be changed, and the change will actually stick. We need a revival of mercy. And I'm like, man, I think we need the same thing today. And I don't mean mercy that doesn't, like, take account of anything and just closes its eyes and lets you do whatever you want to do. No, the kind of mercy that extends the goodness of God to the sinner and the saint who both need it, by the way. The kind of mercy that extends the goodness of God to both the donkey and the elephant who both need it, by the way. I mean, the kind of mercy of God that doesn't just look at other people's sins and say, wow, they're really bad. My sins aren't so bad. Habakkuk is now recognizing he has need of the mercy of God. So he says, renew your mercy, revive your mercy, because I need it. My, the people I thought were good were not so good. After you read chapter 2, it's like everybody is level at the foot of the cross, and we all need the mercy of God. So revive your mercy. Revive your mercy, Lord. Bring it back. Stir it up again. That's what he's asking for. But he's screaming it. Mercy! All right, now, now, now verse 1, okay? He says in verse 3, he says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. I say this is verse 1 of his song because at the end of that sentence, those two lines, right in the middle of verse 3 in, in, in your Bible, you, you're not going to see it in the NIV, but actually um, in the original language, there's a word there called Selah. If you've studied... Hebrew and you've read the Psalms at all, you, you know that Selah is sprinkled throughout the Psalms. It, it's hard for a uh, 21st century American to know what it means uh, because this is an old school musical term from 2,500 years ago. So really, most preachers are just, we're just guessing about what it means. We understand some things. We understand it means a musical pause of some sort. But what is supposed to happen within that pause is up for debate. It seems since this is heavy metal. There should be a dueling guitar solo right about here. I think the double bass pedal maybe, and, and uh, you know, which is kind of, but, but the, the purpose though, you say, well, that's not that important because we're not actually playing the song. It's true, but it's important that you know that the writer of the song says, look, you can't just skip through this. You can't just go verse one and just keep going. You have to stop right here, and we need a guitar solo. We need some drums. We need to give people time for these first two lines to sink in. By the way, there are actually three Selahs in this song. 
kind of significant, I think, kind of interesting. So just like any good sermon, he's got three points. Any, any good hill song, he's got two songs and a bridge. And so that's what he's got going on here. And so there's three selahs. The first one, though, jumps in really quick. And then he has a bunch of verses with no selahs. We're not even going to get to the next selah. So it's weird to me. When I was reading this, I'm like, why did you throw a selah in right there? God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. I think the reason why he did that is because he wants you, number one, to understand how shocking it is to understand or to think of God as a storm. He recognizes that most people don't think of God as the storm. The Babylonians, sure, they're the storm. My enemy, yeah, that's the storm. A bad situation, a sickness I had to go through, a loss of a loved one, yes, that was a storm. But Habakkuk says, look, I, this is a new revelation I'm dropping on you. God is the storm. And so you need to listen to this dueling guitar solo while you think about that for just a minute. Because I know you're not just going to receive it. It needs to soak into your spirit for just a minute. And it's, and, it's, and it's kind of weird, right? And you're like, okay, Pastor Harry, well, where are you going with that? Because I thought God was going to save me from the storm. Now you're telling me God is a storm. And, um, you know, this, this is kind of scary to me. Well, welcome to heavy metal. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be dark, right? But the purpose here is for Habakkuk. See, Habakkuk used to sing about the storm of the Babylonians. He used to sing about the storm of the unrighteousness of his own people. And when he sung about those storms, he found it hard to muster up enough faith to believe in a God who is greater than those storms. But now Habakkuk is writing a different song about a God who, and this is all about God, by the way. This entire song is about God. This entire song of worship is about how great and how powerful and how mighty God is. And I think sometimes we spend so much time observing and honestly pumping up the enemy, propping up Satan, propping up his schemes, you know, just staring at and, and building it up like, oh my goodness, it's so difficult. My life is so hard right now. I have to wear a mask when I go to Walmart and it's so difficult and I just can't sound up. And it's like we, we, make, we make a mountain out of this, this, this little thing when really we're standing before and we claim to believe in the God who is above everything, who is stronger than everything, who is himself unstoppable who is himself mighty. And so what he's saying is, this is actually good news, Israelites. You serve the God who is the greatest storm, the one before whom the nations tremble, the one before whom Satan flees, the one before whom even the grave can't hold him. He's powerful. And when you begin to focus on God who is powerful, then you don't have to muster up faith to believe that God is enough. Because you already know it. It's like walking in front of a lion with a sword. <laughs> Nobody does that. Because a lion can defend itself. You just need to get out of the way. And I'm telling you, God can defend his own. God can protect his own. God can provide for his own. God can direct for his own. God can, God can raise up nations and bring down nations all by himself. He doesn't need your vote or your help or your charity or your concern or your confession of faith. He is God by, just by himself. And he is all-powerful, and he is unstoppable, and he is unrelenting, and he is unrestrained, and he is un, un, unspoken to. Nobody commands him to do anything. No matter how much faith you have, you can't command the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is powerful. We serve him. We follow him. We come under this storm. And Habakkuk has this experience of the greatness and the majesty of God, the power of God, and he's left simply saying, i got to find a way to describe this to people. And he says, well, God's the storm. I thought the Babylonians were the storm. I thought God was the little cave that I was going to go hide in while the storm blew over my whole country and the entire world. But actually, God himself... He's the greatest force in the entire world. God himself is the mover and shaker. God himself is the kingpin. God himself is the decider of destinies. God himself. That's why last week, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because God himself holds your destiny, your future, your family, your very breath. 
And that's what Habakkuk is saying. God is the storm. And that's not a scary thing. That's a comforting thing. That's not a fearful thing. That's, a, that's an encouraging thing. This thing I thought was so big actually is not as big as God. This thing I thought was so bad actually is not nearly as bad as God. This thing I thought was so powerful is not nearly as powerful as God. He said, look, God came from Taman. Taman is south of Israel. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, also south, probably a little bit southwest of Israel. And then he says, his glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. Now, he's using poetry here. His glory, the word glory means weight. So he says his weight, the weightiness, his weightiness covered the heavens. Well, well, what happens when a storm starts rising along the horizon? These really heavy, dark clouds just begin to fill the sky. So he's looking up at the sky, filling up with these heavy, dark clouds, and he says that's like the weight of his glory. There's no beginning, there's no end. All along this, this, this circle that I can see from one horizon to the other, the weight of his glory is bearing down on the entire world. And as his glory moves across the earth, it gathers more. It seems like it's getting more and more glorious. It seems like to me he just keeps on getting better, you know what I'm saying? And he's just getting bigger, and he's just getting more glorious, and I can see more and more of him. And it's gathering from the horizon, and it's stretching across the sky. And as his glory moves, moves there's something else that's happening from the weight of his glory these these drops start falling it's called rain that's when the that's when the clouds just get too heavy and it just gets to be too much and these droplets start forming start falling out of the sky and that's what he 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 calls the rain praise he says look his 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 glory is like the heavy clouds and these 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 bits of glory that fall down from the heavens to water our earth to water the ground and to water the animals and to water the humans that's 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 called praise so if you're in a dry place right now let me just encourage you that maybe you should start praising because praise turns a wilderness into a river praise turns a dry place into a into a into a place of health into a place of refreshing so he said, look, his glory, the weight of his glory is proportionate to the sound of his praise. And so as his glory is more and more glorious, then the sound of his praise is more and more thunderous. And tens of thousands of hands are clapping. It's really just pitter-patter of raindrops falling across the mountainside and echoing through the valleys. And he says, this is the praise of God. All of creation is responding to what is coming down. The glory of God falling down. And, and earth responds, and that's called praise. And as the earth responds, as the earth opens up, as I'm open, as we open up to the glory of God, that's your refreshing. That's your, that's your, that's what feeds you. As the earth opens up to the glory of God, that's what feeds her. That's what feeds the plants. That's what feeds the flowers. That's what feeds the animals. That's what, that's what, that's what builds up the river so the animals can go have something to drink. And so it's amazing that even God in his glory, he's not glorious for himself. He's pouring out his glory over the world, over the entire world. For the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. He's pouring out his glory, and it is refreshing. And it, it brings life. And it brings peace and it brings joy. And so his glory is the clouds and, and the praise of his people. Are the, it's the rain that's falling across the earth. He's moving very poetically with this. And then he says his splendor was like the sunrise. <laughs> sunrise. Well, there's no, well, there's no sunrise during a storm. He says it's like the sunrise. His splendor. In other words, it's piercing like the sunrise. It's coming from the, it's coming from the horizon. And it's piercing, and it's, and it's blasting. The rays are flashing from his hand. What's he talking about there? He's talking about lightning. Rays are flashing from his hand where his power was hidden. This is very interesting. Habakkuk has never met Benjamin Franklin. Habakkuk never worked at PEC, electric company. And yet he looked up to the sky, and he saw these, these flashes and these blasts, having never seen pictures of outer space, having never flown or known what it is to, to be in some kind of elevation, he sees these flashes, these, these crashes of, of lightning, and he, and he says that's where his power is hidden. Of course, now we realize that it is electrical power. We realize, actually, that not only is it electrical power up there, but we can create it down here, harness it down here, and use it down here to stream live 
to the world and to power a microphone and get lights and AC. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And and heat in the wind. You know what I mean? Like it's it's power. So what's interesting is is, is Habakkuk sees the flashes of lightning. He says that's where God's power is hidden. That God has hidden power. God has power that he hasn't even told you about yet. He just lets you see a couple flashes of it, but actually the usefulness of it won't be realized till like 2,000 and some hundred odd years later. It's crazy that God's power is just so powerful. He doesn't feel the need to prove himself to anybody. He's just doing a little light show in the heavens for Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is prophesying about the usefulness of the thing. But now we know that if you can just get the right plug and plug into this power, if you can just get the right apparatus and receive from this power, that this power is very beneficial to you and me. At this time, this power is mostly just destructive because you never know when a tent is going to get struck with power. And it's way too much power for a tent. It was way too much power for your horses if they get struck out in the field. It's way too much. It was way too much. They, they didn't know how to connect to it. But now we know that faith is the extension cord that plugs in my powerless life into the, the power of God. Faith is the extension cord that takes my life, which is dead in its trespasses and sins, and makes it alive in Christ Jesus when I'm plugged into his power. And so his power is electrifying. His power is electrifying. It, 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 it activates things. It turns things on. It moves, it moves in certain ways, and, and, it's, and, it's, and, it, and it moves from one person to another. It's through connection, all you social distance people. It's through connection. His power moves through connection. Just like, just like electricity, it always moves through connection. And that's why, that's why it splinters across the sky, because as, as raindrops are dropping, it lets off this, this electricity. And if enough raindrops drop within the same spot, it lets off too much electricity for the atmosphere. It just gives this little zap, this pow. Well, that pow sets off another pow, which, which stretches across to this other pow, where this other raindrops. And this is the way that God works in all of history. He's working in Austin, Texas. He's also working in Dallas. And if revival sparks here, then it also sparks there and also... These people have been praying over there for 15 years, and you didn't know it, and then bam, something happens. And it is, it is, it is the amount of praise, once again, his glory, plus the praise brings his power. This is, I don't know, I kind of get excited about just the poetic way in which he's describing a storm, that we see the glory of God connected with the praise of God's people. And when God's glory and people's praise come together, then you see the power of God, which is connected between from praise to praise. It moves from one raindrop to another raindrop, from one cloud to another cloud, from one person, from one church to another. So, Lord, would you revive your mercy in these days? Would you just set off mercy in these days? Fire off mercy in these days. Fire off revival. Not just in City Chapel, but from City Chapel to other churches, from other churches to other churches, that God is not a particular denomination. He's not a particular non-denomination. He's not, he's, we don't, nobody owns the market. There's no particular part of the sky where lightning is. Lightning goes wherever the most water is being poured out. So wherever there's praise, wherever there's glory, there you will see the power of God. There you will see the activity of God. And he says, it's hidden. I see his power. It's flashing across the sky. And then he says, plague went before him and pestilence followed in his steps. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of like this storm is moving through the desert and this wind is blowing. And it's taking all of that really hot air and blasting it into Israel. This is the plague going before him. It's like you're stepping into a sun, 130 degree wind just pelting you in the face. He says, I feel, I feel what he's pushing out sense what he's see when God moves into a life when God moves into a city he doesn't just like drop down he he moves in pushing certain things out getting rid of a certain atmosphere and bringing a different atmosphere getting rid of a certain element and bringing in another element he's he's the plague is before him because that's all the junk that was there before and he's pushing it out 
And it's not, sometimes it's not fun to be the one standing there feeling all this stuff hitting you in the face. But just know that when the storm has passed by, everything he didn't want to be there will be gone. And only what he wanted there is what will be left. There will be a new atmosphere. There will be a new temperature in the air. Come on, Texas. This past week, there will be a new temperature. I mean, it'll feel, your life will feel different when he blows through. <laughs> when he blows through, your life will feel that, wow, this feels better. Man, this is, this, is, this is great. That's what happens when his mercy comes blasting through your life. And behind him is, is, this, is this pestilence. He stood, it says in verse 6, and shook the earth. I don't know if that's an earthquake or if that's symbolic of thunder. I think it's probably more thum- thunder, but he says he stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. God is unstoppable. He looked, he says, and shook the earth. He made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. This this thunder, I mean, man, sometimes our house shakes, you know, and our window panes are like, you know, because thunder is just, it's really, it's the, it's the echo of the sound of the, of the, of the lightning f- cra- cra- crackling and crashing. So, so the, the thunder, the shaking, it's the result of his power. So his power snaps off in the sky, and then, and then there's this echo. And that echo is the rumble that he's talking about. It says his echo is the way that he looked and shook the earth. He shakes the earth with the echo of his power. This is what happens. He, he's shaking mountains. He's shaking age-old hills. And I believe even in this day and time, when the, when the, the, the unstoppable, powerful, storm kind of God moves into your life, he has not come to, to play on his harp and sing you lullabies. This is a heavy metal kind of God. He's still going to get the wrong idea. Everyone's going to go listen to Metallica after this. Don't do it. Don't do it. Resist temptation. I'm just saying he's 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 going to kick the door open. He's going to break into your life and he's going to begin shaking some age old hills. He's going to begin shaking some age old uh, like like strongholds that the enemy has set up in your life. That he's going to shake those things, and they're going to begin to crumble, and they're going to begin to fall. And the, the shackles that have held you, addictions that have held you, attitudes that have held you, trauma that has held you, whatever has kept, whatever is, th- this mountain is something that's stuck around for a while. But God is shaking. God's not only shaking, he's shaking the entire world. He's shaking, he's shaking America. Because America is not forever. But God marches on forever. He's shaking the church because even the church, as we know it right here, is not forever. But God marches on forever. He's shaking families. He's shaking cities. He's shaking countries because all of these things are temporary. And whatever can be shaken will be shaken. But God marches on forever. And not only is he shaking, I believe that the shaking, what it does is it, is it breaks off the stuff that was loose. He says it's crumbling. He says these, these, these hills are crumbling. Ancient mountains are crumbling. It doesn't mean these entire mountains are, you know, completely being demolished. It means that as they're shaking, as there's an earthquake, or as there's these torrents of water pouring down the hills in the desert, that, 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 that the prophet can see, like, boulders rolling off. He can see things that were, that, that, were, that were on, but they weren't really a part of it. They just looked like they were a part of it. Come on, somebody. Sometimes <laughs> there's some stuff that looks like it's a part of it only because nothing has really impacted it to get it out from being a part of it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but sometimes that's true in a church. That's true in a family. That's true in a life. Sometimes there's some, there's some people and there's some things that look like it's a part of it, but only because nothing's challenged it. But as soon as God begins shaking and challenging things, you're going to find out who's really a part of that mountain and who is just hanging on to the side of the mountain. There's some shaking going on and the great thing about when God starts shaking is that whatever wasn't supposed to be there to begin with begins to roll off and he gets rid of it shaking the age old hills yeah freedom freedom for God's church freedom for I believe like 
I, I've I've never actually just cursed uh, Corona. You know, I know some preachers that are doing that, and that, okay, that's 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 up to you if you want to do that. I personally have never done that because as soon as this coronavirus stuff just started proliferating and people began wearing masks and all, as soon as it happened, I began seeing something else happen. I began, there was some shaking going on and I was like, this is not a bad thing. Obviously people dying from coronavirus, that's not good. But the shaking, this isn't a bad thing. I'm not going to pray against a God who shakes some stuff every once in a while. I'm not going to come against a God who wants to get rid of some stuff that's been added onto my life that doesn't need to be there. It's been added onto my church and my family that doesn't need to be there. It's not helping anything. It's dead weight. And so if God wants to shake me and remove some things from me, then then I will embrace the shaking because, because it's once again, it's a good thing. Remember, the storm is a good thing. Sometimes I think we pray against God. We, God, would you please stop being yourself in my life? Would you please stop shaking? Oh, oh, man. Just, I don't know. Have, have, I, I just had this picture. I just had this picture. Have you ever seen like the, like I've never been to the Middle East personally. I've never been to Israel. I'd love to go someday. But I see pictures and like in those pictures, especially in like the old ancient areas, there's like there's, there's all these hills everywhere for one thing. And on the side of the hills, it's like they build their houses. Have you, have you, have you ever seen that? Like they, yeah. it's, it's almost like in ancient times, and this seems to make sense, that, you know, the, well, Jesus said the wise man built his house on the rock, mountains, and the foolish man built his house on the sand, right? The east side 35. That's what that is. It's called gumbo. It's mud. And he's like, that's silly. Don't do that. Uh, and it seems like that's, that was a generally accepted thing. It's like, well, we'll use the mountain because the mountain's not going anywhere. It's solid. It's steady. We'll use the mountain for its stability. We'll build alongside it. Now, I just had that, that picture in my brain as he's saying that he saw the mountains being shaken. They're th- these homes on the side of the mountain. I wonder, this might be a little bit too too touchy, but... If you can handle it, I wonder if one of the reasons why we don't want God to do any shaking of our age-old mountains, I wonder if it's because we've actually built... <laughs> I wonder if, you know, like, like, like two people got together with a lot of issues, a lot of age-old mountains, and they decided... The, the age-old mountains weren't going anywhere, so they decided to build on the stability of their dysfunction. Because <laughs> that wasn't leaving. And so now their relationship is, is literally on the side of their dysfunction because their dysfunction they thought was un, Im, Im, immovable. It was solid. It was steady. So they're, they're going to build their marriage on it. And I wonder how many, how many marriages are literally built on dysfunction. And so when God starts shaking the dysfunction, the people aren't concerned about the dysfunction as much as they're concerned about the house that's been built on the dysfunction. And we're crying out to God because we feel like things are being shaken, whether it's marriage or our parenting. We've got a parenting class right now, and we're, we're still in the first few weeks where we're telling everybody they're doing it all wrong. And, um, you know, it's like, it's like man, like we're shaking. Like we're shaking some stuff in their parenting. But, but, but look, 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 please hear me. Here's the hope. God is not trying to wipe out your house. He says the mountains crumbled, not the houses. God's not trying to wipe out your house. He's trying to move your, he's trying to relocate your house. Your house is currently located on dysfunction. And so he's trying to relocate it, get it off of an age-old issue, let God deal with the age-old issue and build it on Jesus. I am convinced And I said this to somebody the other day. I said, I think everything we go through, the main purpose, and obviously there's other purposes. God's really smart like that. But the one thing he's shown me is that everything we go through is to reveal Jesus. Everything we go through is to reveal Jesus. He is trying over and over and over and over and over and over again to reveal Jesus to us. And I feel like, because because here's the deal. When, When you're built on any other foundation. When you're built on any other foundation other than the foundation of Jesus Christ, your house is not going to stand. 
It's just not going to stand. And God sees that. So God, in his mercy, begins to shake what you've built on. Because he knows if he doesn't shake it, then the storm that's coming after him is going to demolish your home. The enemy wants to destroy your marriage, wants to destroy your children, wants to destroy your city. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The shaking is not a sign of death. It's a sign of life that will be able to withstand the storm. It's a sign of life. And he's trying to shake the foundation of your dysfunction and get rid of your dysfunction but not destroy the house. So even when, and this is what, this is the context I was sharing with somebody, even when you, when you have to go back to your past and talk about stuff you don't want to talk about, the goal is not so that you'll go back to the way that it was before. The purpose of spiritual healing is not so that you'll go on as if it never happened. The purpose of spiritual healing is to insert Jesus into a place where you wouldn't allow him before. So if you have a crack in your foundation, you, you know, you got to pull up your flooring and stuff and get down to it. But you, when, you, when you find the crack, you don't like grab one side of the foundation and the other and try to push it together. <laughs> you don't do that. You do not try to make it as if it never happened. Because if you do, then literally the, the 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 quality of your foundation will be based on your ability to keep things together <laughs> and you will be so stressed out trying to keep stuff together instead you grab some new stuff you grab some new foundation you grab some new cement quick crete tends to work i'm not a builder but you get some new cement you pour it into the crack you insert a new element into that foundation and when you've done that sometimes the new foundation is actually stronger than the old one because an unbroken untested unstressed foundation is not worth a whole lot but one that's been through something and has been repaired by someone that marriage will last that parent will hold on those teenagers will be able to face temptation because it's not about having never messed up it is about having messed up and having the courage to allow jesus to come into those cracks allow his power to come into those places allow him to relocate your life your house i'm my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i'm there not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name he's trying to get you off of your old mountain <laughs> the age old issues are being shaken don't continue to camp out on an age old issue when God's shaking it let God shake it let it fall let it let it break apart even if it's attached to your identity even if you've owned it, even if you said, that's me, that's the way I am, even if you've agreed with the enemy, renounce your agreement, unagree with the enemy, and start agreeing with God that I am not that mountain. I was built on the side of that mountain, but I am not that mountain. The mountain can be shaken, but my house will be established. My life will be established. My future is established. My destiny is established. My family, my children, my marriage, we are moving forward with God getting off this mountain if your mountain's shaking get off it let the but let let the storm of god shake some stuff let him let him peel back some layers and find the cracks father right now we just come before you we thank you for the storm of heaven for the unstoppable god who relentlessly or as that song says recklessly pursues, chases, and finds us, and shakes. Thank you for the God that is in all of his agitation. For the God who in all of his movement, in all of his works, in all of his action, in all of his blessing, in all of his mercy, in all of his wrath, in all of his justice. Thank you for a God who's not stagnant. Thank you that you're a God who's moving and you're calling us to move forward. In this season, you're calling us to move forward. In this season, you're shaking some of the, the stuff that we've built ourselves on because we thought it was stable. Praise God for the revelation 
that our dysfunction is not determined. It is not stable. It is not forever. But God marches on forever. Our issues are not forever, but God marches on forever. Our past sin is not forever, but God marches on forever. So may we, may we relocate the house, get off of this mountain, and come onto Mount Zion. Come onto the foundation, which is Jesus. He alone can change. He alone can save. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus, now is the time to do that. It's the perfect time. At a time when people don't know what to put their faith in, now is the perfect time to put your faith in Jesus. At a time when much is being shaken and there's a lot of sinking sand all around us, now's the time to put your faith in Jesus. I mean, literally, what are you, what are you waiting for? If not now, when? What's it going to take? For you to admit you're not in control? What's it going to take for you to look to the God of heaven who is so much more powerful? His glory is covering the sky. His praise is raining down, bringing newness of life all around us. He is transforming and transfiguring and bringing life out of death, hope out of despair. <laughs> Even those that are that are grieving. I, I think everything is to, is to bring us to Jesus. Lost loved ones are to bring our eyes off of this, this, this atmosphere right here and turn it on Jesus, to lift our eyes to the hills from whence comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord. Our hope comes from the Lord. Our joy comes from the Lord. Everything is echoing His greatness and His worth. Everything is echoing the fact that there is nothing on earth that can compare to Him. Everything is echoing. Everything is preaching to us. Our sorrows are preaching to us. Our disappointments are preaching to us. Our loss, our grief, it's all preaching to us. Every, every job that is lost is preaching to us that the job wasn't my hope anyway. It wasn't my security anyway. My security is in God. He's the mountain on which I have built my life. I haven't built it on an opportunity or on a, or on a role or on a job description or on a paycheck. I've built it on something much more solid than that. Let every issue, every pandemic, every social unrest is only preaching to us the necessity of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, the simplicity and the singularity of Jesus, the absolutely self-sufficiency of Christ. We don't need to be right. We, we need to be with Jesus. We don't need to be employed. We need to be with Jesus. Great faith, wild faith, finds its target in a wild God. In a powerful, unpredictable, uncontrolled, undomesticated God. So we submit to that God today. We put our faith in you, Lord. You have full reign over our lives. You can speak to us. You can change. You can direct us. You can whisper in our ears. We're listening for direction. We're listening for your words of affirmation. We're listening for your words of correction. We're listening for your words of direction. We're open to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're open, would you just would you just put your arm your arms out right now just in that in a posture of openness. Says as as my kids do when I come home and they want me to pick them up. We're, we're open. If you're watching online right now, if you're open, if you just open your arms to him, I'm open. We're open to him. For you to come and have your way. Let everything that can be shaken, let it be shaken off of us. Build us on a firm foundation, the foundation Jesus, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled? <laughs> it's in Jesus that we find our refuge. In Jesus' name we pray.